At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. We stay the course! We are dead! We are all dead! We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! I know Kung Fu. You either die a hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become a villain. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! This whole thing is insane! This whole thing is insane! 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane! Man is evil, capable of nothing but destruction! Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is. It just is. Welcome to the audio version of Aeon Byte Live, episode 36. Raw, uncensored, and unfiltered. Just like the truth you've been looking for across all your existences. Supercharged by stellar audience participation. On this sacrilege, we were honored once again by my bud, Chris Knowles. He materialized at the virtual Alexandria to share some of his latest research. And it was raining red pills, hallelujah. Chris connected Maxwell, Epstein, Crowley, Parsons, and Lovecraft. And you can add transhumanist agencies, UFOs, and various secret societies as the deadly spice. It was life in the fast gish lane. We presented visuals along with this dark gnosis. And we discuss how his novel, He Will Live Up in the Sky, is turning out to be a grim prophecy instead of just fiction. Sophia, blessings for those of you who continually support. I can't do it without you. 
please continue to help me grow this red pill cafeteria. We need Gnosis more than ever, needless to say. And we've only just begun reaching those who need to wake up or simply cope in 2020. You won't find this high-quality Gnostic and Hermetic wisdom or guess and their unique insights anywhere else in cyberspace or even meat space. August will be incredible in content as our topics will include the Gospel of John, the Mandeans, origins of Gnosticism, and much, much more. We'll also have a debate on the doctrine of reincarnation and a very special interview with Damien Eccles. So don't go anywhere because we've only just begun thriving in this age of Hermes and his alchemical madness. But enough of my short drivel. Let us to our latest AB Live. The Empire Never Ended. Say what you want about America, land of the free, home of the brave. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. Dumbass motherfuckers. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. They own all the important land. They own and control the corporations. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. They got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. They want more for themselves and less for everybody else. But I'll tell you what they don't want. They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested in that. That doesn't help them. That's against their interest. It's a big club, and you ain't in it. By the way, it's the same big club they used to beat you over the head with all day long when they tell you what to believe. All day long, beating you over the head in their media, telling you what to believe, what to think, and what to buy. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't give a fuck about you. They don't care about you at all, at all, at all. And nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to care. That's what the owners count on, the fact that Americans will probably remain willfully ignorant of the big red, white, and blue dick that's being jammed up their assholes every day. Because the owners of this country know the truth. It's called the American dream, because you have to be asleep to believe it. Are so allegedly live. Are we live? We're warm. Allegedly. Yes, I'm viewing stream on YouTube, and we're live. We are live to the world. Well, awesome. Well, warm leatherettes and birdie num num. Yes, I see us live too. Life is good. Let me turn off this YouTube because I know how it's going to go. Awesome. Well, welcome everyone, or those who are right now here, to Aeon Byte Live. Welcome to the desert of the real and that distant ship smoke on the horizon. This is episode 36, and as always, it is an honor to have with us at the virtual Alexandria, Chris Knowles. Chris, thanks for being here, man. My pleasure. 
Thank you for the invite. Pleasure is all ours and always great to have you. And always great to have the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing tonight? I'm fine. Just getting this chat room started, warming them up. <laughs> getting ready for a wild ride. Yeah, you've got we'll your get own all abducted, you know. <laughs> that's what that's what it looks like. <clears throat> awesome. Excuse me. Well, awesome. It's great to uh to have this show on this Saturday night. It's uh as always, there will be an audio version out on all our podcast channels, iTunes, iHeartRadio. Recently put the show on Amazon Podcast. I guess they have a new thing now. So you can get this podcast on Amazon. And, uh, and the, the audio version should be out in a couple of days. For those of you in the chat room joining, I'm sure most of you know the drill. Hello, Jasmine. Hello, Beth Martins. Hello, Vance. Oh, Vance, you're there too. We have, uh, if you have any questions for Chris, Please uh, put uh, question marks or write them in caps. Of course, if you do uh, a super chat, you will get put up. Vance will do his best to get to it. Please keep it. Yeah, please keep it uh, on topic. Beth is, of course, asking about the siren, but that would be its own show for Chris to do. That could be another two, four hours, and that's like like the topic tonight. It's an endless, evolving thing that. Uh, well, it's just incredible. So, and uh, yeah, so that's really it. And uh, so, Chris, I guess to start out with, last time you were here, we were talking about the sad departure of Neil Peart. And that was, I think, January and February. I know there was snow on the ground on my end. So, how has 2020 been for you since then? <laughs> uh, same that it's been for everybody, <laughs> you know, just watching the wheels come off the buggy. <laughs> Pretty much, you know, I mean, here we are, you know, we, we were warned for millennia that we would arrive at this point and now we're at that point. So what can you say? Um, no. Things have been very weird. Uh, things got really weird at the beginning of July, like, you know, highly weird, which I guess is the topic of discussion here. Things got very weird very quickly and uh, haven't seemed to uh, slow down at all. And, and how, do, how do you, um, I guess, cope with it? I mean, I'm sure you just do what you always do, research and record like the Watcher in Marvel, sit back and record everything that's happening. Well, it's funny because, um, you know, it's kind of like slow pitch softball because so many things are coming in that are, are you know, no brainers for me, things that I've been following for decades now. And, um, you know, literally in my wheelhouse, literally, you know, all these things sort of popping up in my area, in my neighborhood, so to speak, you know, not my literal neighborhood, but my general vicinity here. Um, you know, we can touch on the um, situation with uh, Judge Salas and Deutsche Bank and Roy Den Hollander and all those people, which is, uh, you know, a whole different situation but you know the thing that I've really noticed and, and the thing that I'm kind of sensing I'm just trying to piece together as best I can is how a lot of this seems to be following on the Ghislaine Max, uh, Maxwell arrest in New Hampshire um, you know I think we're on the show or is on your show talking about New Hampshire talking about high weirdness in New Hampshire not so long ago so that was kind of you know talk about being in my wheelhouse there's a lot of a lot of things that I sort of touched upon in the book I, know, I remember you asked me this at the beginning of the year and I hadn't really 
you know, I didn't have a, a satisfactory answer for you, but boy, a lot of things have been really lining up with things that I wrote about in the book. So yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a very interesting experience. It reminds me a lot. I mean, last time things were getting this hectic was in 2017, which was just, you know, I mean, the craziest year of my life, you know, particularly with the work and the symbolism and the synchronicity, it's just completely out of control. But I, I, I mean, this is the new normal, you know, I, I was talking about the new normal <clears throat> 10, 12 years ago and saying how, you know, you can only push so much, you know, you can only push so much at the, uh, at the door before it, it, it collapses. And I think that's the point we're at now. We've had so many people kicking at the, uh, the wheels for so long that they, like I said, they're just coming off the buggy. And, um, I, you know, I think you know, a lot of people are just talking about how like they feel like their entire experience of reality has changed, which I think is very true. And reality itself has changed. I mean, you don't really hear a lot of from, um, you know, Dawkins and Dennett and all those kind of people, you know, Bill Nye is sort of flying the flag for wearing a mask and whatever, you know, whatever he, he likes to jump on whatever, gravy train pulls into the station um but you know everybody's saying it it's like what is going on why does everything feel so strange why are all these things happening and it's just because you know reality it's it, there one of two things happening one is that reality is actually changing the second is, which is that our models of reality are collapsing so we no longer can provide context for the things that happen because nothing applies to these preconceptions that we all once held, you know? <clears throat> and, you know, for instance, one of the things that I've been really thinking a lot about is just not worrying about science or trying to explain things scientifically or quasi scientifically, um, looking at everything that, that's happening, uh, both, in the macrocosm, the things that we're all familiar with going on and the things that, you know, in the microcosm, the things that I've been studying, I'm, I'm no longer trying to explain, like I'm no longer trying to um, provide myself with some sort of, uh, how do I even put this? I, you know, I'm no longer trying to provide myself with some sort of basis, some rational basis for the things that are happening because so much of what is happening is so incredibly irrational. Um, you know, there's, there's no ontology for what's going on right now, let's just say, you know, um, there really isn't. Uh, Do you and, think and there's a precedent? Could we say late 60s, fall of Alexandria? I mean, is there some time in history that you could say a point of relation for us or? I think this is a lot stranger than the 60s. Um, the late 60s with all? Yeah, yeah, because the late 60s, you had, you still had a lot of bottlenecks. You still had a lot of gatekeepers on the de dissemination of information. And that's no longer true. So you had all these things happening uh, with the SDS and the Yippies, Weather Underground, uh, the anti-war movements. I mean, all these things were happening. And, you know, the hate really started going sour in late 67. And you had a lot of uh, situations Eerily analogous to what's going on in San Francisco now, but it's it's even more um, spoiled. You know, it's turned even more. It's fermented, I guess you would say. Um, so I, I don't think this late '60s is is a is an appropriate model, simply because 
you know, you had like this running commentary from the establishment, you know, from the establishment media that we're putting everything into context for people. And you don't have that now because back in the late sixties, you had things going on. You know, you, you certainly had all sorts of media. I mean, there's always been a lot of media, the, the, the fact that uh, social media and the internet has so, somehow filled this void in our lives is, is absolutely false. We've always had a lot of media, but the difference now is, is how it's, it's distributed and how you get this instant, uh, instantaneous, you know, media uh, situations, events go around the world instantaneously now. You know, it, you, there's no longer this filtering mechanism where things have to sort of well up and be processed. You know, you had sort of the the lag time even with just with newspapers that newspapers had to be printed right they had to be printed and they had to be sent out to people's homes so you didn't have that kind of instantaneous and you didn't have like the kind of dog piling that you have now social media has really created like these roving gangs people just rove around the internet it's very gibsonian right they rove around the internet just looking for people to attack i mean you certainly didn't have anything like that so um i don't think this is like the late 60s and I'm not exactly sure it's like um, the fall of Alexandria, though I, th I think that, you know, that sort of chaos that you had, that, you know, eventually the church filled that void, right? You had all sorts of um, street violence be between all these different sects and, and ethnic groups and so on and so forth. But, you know, the church, with the blessing of the, um, <clears throat> the emperor, was very quick to, to fill these voids and to, to provide some sort of overall context. You know, the church is now, it's, it's funny because what's going on with the Christian church today, it's, it's under attack in the same way that um, paganism, I, I hate that term, by the way, I hate the term paganism. It's so inaccurate. It doesn't describe anything. You know, but uh, say, let's say pre-Christian religion, because you can count in you know, the philosophers, you know, things that happened like with Apatia in Alexandria, you know, all these things that were going on that you just had this welter, all, you know, all these different groups uh, vying for control and vying for adherence. Um, you know, I think that's more similar, but again, I think this is just unprecedented. And I think it's unprecedented because of the way that information travels today. You know, it's instantaneous. We, we've built this sort of exterior brain that acts exactly like, you know, like a brain does. And things, you know, there's, there's, no, there's no precedent for that. But I do also think that that's in large part responsible for the, the breakdown of consensus reality. You know, I mean, and consensus reality is breaking down. I mean, there's, there's no reasonable argument against that um you, you don't see like these guys in fedoras walking around trying to you know man the hustings of of consensus reality anymore they don't even bother because they know that the battle is lost you know um i just read that dawkins was sort of um you know he's he's going on now about like the whole woke thing and everything and it's like boy you know there's a come down for somebody, you know, as somebody who is going to re remake the, the world in his own image, you know, the, the world's uh, philosophical underpinnings and his own, his own image. And now he's just like whining about the woke people like everyone else. Is. Oh my so, God. 
you know, it's just, it's just a really strange time. It's a, it's a very strange time. And there is no, there is no consensus. There is no, like, this is the right way to do things anymore. You know, because it used to be like, again, in the sixties, like, this is the right way to, to run a society and people descend from that and people will want to revise that or, uh, you know, reform that. But there was that understanding. There's no longer that understanding at any level. Nobody agrees on anything anymore. So I, I don't see how you can um, run a, a free and open society when there's no consensus to literally anything, you know, because if you disagree, you can, you can go off in your own corner of the internet and find people to, to go along with your view of things. And it, it's just, there's just no, there's no mainstream anymore. You know, I, I just laugh at all these people who still talk about like, you know, you know, shock the bourgeoisie. It's like, that doesn't exist. There is no mainstream. There is no gatekeeper. There's no, there is increasingly no basis uh, for culture and society um, as we understood them. And I think that's an incredibly dangerous time. And I, I think that we're seeing how that plays out. We're seeing how that, that works in reality. And I think it's only going to get more chaotic and more violent. Mm. But do you think, uh, per the title of the show, Wickedness and Highly Strange, Strange Places, are you saying you think the managerial classes have lost it? The, the angels at the top are still in control? Or I remember you always talked there was a war in heaven. Is this still going on and everybody has lost control? Or is oh, it, I, I think it's being part- engineered? I think the war in heaven is, is very real. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that the Ghislaine Maxwell thing was, was kind of like a Waterloo event. I'm not exactly sure for who yet, but it just seemed like it was a de- decisive turn in the battle because there's been all these things that have been going on, you know, like the aftershocks. I mean, that was, that was the, the, the tremor. And now we have the aftershocks and things have gotten really strange uh, because of that. But the interesting thing, you know, when you talk about highly strange, I mean, she was arrested on World UFO Day, and I just can't get over that. That's just so bizarre. Because um, last year, nobody would have cared, right? Like, World UFO Day, what the hell is that? Who cares, right? But, you know, I mean, it was trending top 10 on Twitter uh, this this year. And now you have, like, you have this really um, concerted, uh, effort on on the fa- on the part of um, people in the military and people in the military industrial complex to push this whole UFO reality disclosure. I, d- I don't even know what to call it anymore, but it's it's um, it's interesting to me that this starts with Glenn Maxwell being arrested on World UFO Day, and now it seems to be ending with this whatever this quasi pseudo disclosure event is. And you know, I mean, what gets more highly strange than that, right? I think the reaction of everybody, some some people saying Twitter, people are still more worried about masks and statues than they are about this big UFO reveal. So we can't even, uh, most of the people can't even accept this stuff from the government or this big reveal. It's, uh, no, I agree with you. Very I mean, strange. you know, the one thing I said to, to, to uh, our friend Gordon White today is like, what if they gave a disclosure and no one cared? You know? <laughs> Um, but the gods have arrived and we don't give a shit. (laughs) I I think we may be looking at a situation where, um, not caring is, is not an option. 
that, you know, you'll be compelled to care. You'll be made to care because I don't think people, I don't think the people who are involved in this, um, play around. I don't, I don't think that these are people who are known. Well, I mean, you can just sort of X out DeLong because he's just a figurehead to sell it to the millennials or the, I guess the millennials now, I don't think Gen Zers care about Tom DeLong anymore, <laughs> but, um, you know, he was just sort of a vehicle for this, but the people who are involved in this, I mean, that there's your secret government right there. You know, I mean, you look at the, the names of people who are involved with, with, uh, TTSA to the stars, which ironically uh, was the same name. We can get into the whole Jack Parsons thing, but that was the same name that Jack Parsons used when he uh, either quit or was fired from Jet Propulsion Laboratories. Uh, he had a company called Ad Aster, uh, you know, to the stars. And um, it's the same, you know, it's just Latin for the same thing. And the thing that I find so funny is that they're talking about the metals now, you know, the, the anomalous metals or recovered spacecraft metals. I mean, you know, it's intentionally vague and confusing. But when Jack Parsons started Ad Aster, um, there was this whole thing with like, you know, they were developing mystery metals. So I just find that like... Boy, there's an interesting kind of uh, connection there. I wonder if there's any uh, meaning to that, you know? I mean, we do know that Tom DeLong's a Freemason. I'm sure everybody he's working with is either a Mason or in some kind of secret order, you know? Um, I, I, don't, I really don't think the people at those levels are not, you know, in some capacity or another. I, I just don't think that that's the way it works. Um, but... Yeah, I'll tell you. Oh, the other thing, too, um, the day after Ghislaine Maxwell was arrested, the uh, director of, um, of MUFON was arrested in Huntington Beach on, a, uh, oh. on one of these kind of, you know, these kitty uh, honey trap deals where, um, it was that guy Chris Hansen to catch a predator? You know, it's the same kind of deal where, you know, he was lured into talking to a detective who was a you know 13 year old girl and wanted to get together at some park for sex and all this kind of stuff which you know doesn't surprise me and shouldn't surprise anybody who's familiar with the whole subculture of ufology but i, I find that the timing really interesting because i don't think this was kind of like a one-off thing. i don't think he just woke up and said you know what i'm gonna go look for a 13 year old girl man that's that's yeah, what right. i that's that would really make my day you know i'm having a midlife crisis somebody else would go out and buy a mustang but i'm gonna go like find a nice 13 year old girl in a park in Huntington <laughs> Beach, you know, it's just so strange. Uh, so I, I think it's probably a good bet that he was involved in this kind of thing all along, or at least for some time. And it was, I, it was either tolerated or ignored. I, I think that's probably good. That's the, how these things usually uh, pan out. But speaking of, um, of the UFO thing. Uh, so, Back in the 2016 uh, election, Hillary Clinton had made you know, a pretty widely publicized declaration that she was going to uh, uh, open the UFO files and all this kind of stuff. Right. And um, she did that in, in Conway, New Hampshire, which is nowhere. It's this little... I mean, it's a postage stamp. I, th I think they might have like a, a post office and a gas station there, you know. But they, because of the, um, I guess because of the New England, uh, the New, New Hampshire primaries that this Conway Daily Sun 
paper became sort of, you know, I guess maybe they're a kingmaker. So I'm not exactly sure. It's, it's very strange. I don't know why she went there to make this declaration. It seemed like a very strange place to make yeah. it. But um, on the 13th of this month, I mean, just almost two weeks ago, uh, somebody who was working for the government in Conway and was also involved with Black Lives Matter and defund the police and, and all these kind of causes was was also arrested. But uh, this in this case, I believe it was um, kitty porn that was on his phone and stuff. And I, I, when the cops showed up to try to throw his uh, phone away. But it's interesting, too, because that's really not very far from where Ghislaine Maxwell was living when she was arrested. And I still can't understand, like, why she was there. I mean, we heard all these stories like she's under the Antarctic ice and a submarine. <laughs> she's living, uh, you know, on top of the Himalayan mountains and studying with a Tibetan yogi or something. I mean, or she's, you know, she's in Moscow and feeding information to, to Vladimir Putin. I mean, you, hear, you heard this woman was like in every exotic location that you could possibly imagine. And it turns out she's in New Hampshire, like literally just like, you know, nowhere. Nowhere in New Hampshire. But then I was kind of looking at the, the alignments of, you know, the area where she was and how it lined up with Betty and Barney Hill getting back to the UFO thing and where Alistair Crowley was summering uh, not too long before he did the Amelantra working. But do you want to get the slides on so we can take the audience on a journey? Why not? Let's do it. Let's do it. Uh, before we do that, Vince, any big questions from the audience? Haven't seen any, a lot of discussion. Everybody's yeah. excited and sometimes they're coming up with things that Chris has said a few seconds before he says them, but like... Uh, My secrets like, uh, on yeah. Earth who've already read yeah. <laughs> this <laughs> blog. Yeah, I saw, yeah, UFO, UFO, lots of that there. I saw a couple of questions, yeah. so yeah. awesome. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, and uh, before we get there, I did not know this because I, I was reading your blog, but... You were neighbors with the founder of Wayfair, Chris? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sometimes yeah. I think reality changes as you write things or <laughs> as you go down rabbit holes. It's like, what are the uh, odds? <laughs> yeah. He, um, well, that's the other thing, too, because there's a very strange connection between Ghislaine Maxwell and Wayfair because she um, was living in the, the heart of Lovecraft country in Manchester by the Sea, right on Cape Ann there with a guy named Scott Borgerson who started this company called, what is it called again? Uh, let me just check my notes here. Uh, but the company that he started, um, their headquarters is only a couple blocks away from uh, Wayfair, Wayfair's offices. Um, where did he, hello, sir? No, he, he's just going for something there. Sorry, I had to let the kitty out. Oh, that's oh, right. kitty. No, yeah, I, yeah. I, I know the feeling. So, yeah, so Ghislaine's, uh, it's, it's rumored that she's married to this guy called um, Scott Borgensen. Mm -hmm. And he has a company called Cargometrics. And um, their offices are just a couple blocks away from Wayfair's offices in the back bay. And it's funny because um, in the book, you know, he will live up in the sky, which everybody needs to read immediately if you really want to understand what's happening this year, right? Uh, yeah, you want to be prepared. I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm afraid if I read it, it's going to change. But yeah, your book is uh, <laughs> it's prophetic. It's, it's insane. Yeah. So the, the story ends um, 
in the sort of secret <laughs> lair in the back bay of Boston. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not giving spoilers there because, you know, it's got to end somewhere, right? Yeah. But the, the, the other interesting thing that I thought was really strange, so, so there's just, a, I think, just two or three places that my characters travel to in Boston, and both of them um, have Wayfair offices there. Oh, wow. Yeah, one is on, on Boylston Street, and the other one is in, in the back bay. So, um, yeah, that was kind of interesting. Oh, the other interesting thing, too, is that uh, I believe the one in the back bay is on St. James Street. So, you know, that ties into, like, Little St. James and uh, Jeffrey Epstein and so on. So, I mean, it's just, uh, things have just been, like, happening so quickly and so strangely. But anyway, back to your original question. Yeah, I did live uh, three <laughs> doors down from uh what's his name stephen coney who's the co uh i guess the co-founder of, of wayfair and when i looked into this whole situation I, I didn't get the sense that if there is anything going on and and i i think you know the story seems to have died down a bit but um if there is or was anything going on, I don't think that this guy who, you know, my former neighbor, who I didn't know personally because he, I'm, I'm a few years older than him, but um, if there's anything going on, I, I doubt that he has anything to do with it because the guy, his co-founder, like, sits on the board of the, you know, the Federal Reserve in Boston and they're involved with, like, the boys and girls clubs you know like all these you know oh, it's just one thing after another like one red flag after another uh, oh, <laughs> it boy. really is so again i haven't really looked into that but that was a very strange story and it had like when i was looking at that story it always had like a um like a video drum vibe to me uh you saw the movie video drum right yeah a long time ago yeah but it's just like you know <laughs> james woods is watching tv and he just sort of stumbles upon this like really bizarre weird like snuff show or something it's <laughs> like there are just some rabbit holes that you can fall into that you really wish you, you you never noticed you know so again i don't know i don't know if there's any truth to it but there certainly is a lot of strange very strange evidence but uh, yeah but as you write what's stranger is the reaction it's almost like i mean this was immediate it's like they had the they had all these articles to debunk it like within hours i've never yeah. seen anything so fast that was really weird. Yeah, yeah that, that was really weird because it was just somebody who just posted it on Reddit. No. And I think it was like our conspiracy, right? And I mean, how many people post how many theories on that thing a day? Like, who uh, cares, right? But it's like the entire establishment press just went into crisis mode. It was like they circled the wagons immediately. So that that's the kind of thing that, you know, those are the kind of things that I look for. You know, you can interpret information all the ways that you want to and you can a lot of people just will um manufacture evidence if they can't find it but it's when things like that happen you wonder like why did that happen like why did they care about some stupid thread on a reddit board i mean it really was instantaneous so i i, I just couldn't help but wonder you know given the proximity of of wayfair to uh to cargo metrics and the connection to Ghislaine maxwell i i wonder if she is just feeding feeding information, FBI information. Yeah. and there's the other weird thing too where um they'd asked trump about her and and he said uh, he said a couple times like i wish her well i wish her well and 
you know, there's a whole big meltdown about that. But the way I interpreted that is that he wishes her well because she turned, she flipped, and she's feeding FBI, uh, NSA, DIA, Homeland Security, I mean, whoever you can name, but she's feeding them information. I mean, that's, that's, that was my interpretation of that. Hmm. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but that's because, you know, he could have just said, I'm not going to comment on that. You know, it's an ongoing case. It has nothing to do with me, blah, 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 blah. But he made a point to saying that. And, uh, you know, I can never figure Trump out. I, I, I really try to pay as little attention to Trump as I, as I can. Um, and I don't understand these people who, who hate him and just pour and obsess over every syllable he writes on Twitter. It's just bizarre to me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed to me, in light of the connection that, you know, even if it is tangential, but that connection and just the, the absolute meltdown that all the usual press subjects, media subjects went into. Just yeah, like, that Snopes had an article <laughs> within 24 hours that next afternoon. I mean, it's, it's yeah, and the way that, and the way. Yeah, the way the um, headlines were all worded, it was it was all like, "This is bullshit," you know. <laughs> you know yeah, these yeah. these conspiracy nuts are you know lying about this, you know, like putting in all the buzzwords. Like so, anybody who would just sort of scan the headlines and not pay attention to it, you know, it's it's all that neuro linguistic processing or programming where they, you know, hit all those buzzwords. I mean, I think that that form of magic is losing its power because of overuse but it just seemed to me that um they really just wanted to shut this thing down and i'm just thinking like why yeah they want to shut like who cares like first of all why are they going out of their way to defend this wafer company to be honest with you i had never heard of them before this never heard of them until this time uh and it just was very odd and very strange but you know what it makes sense because it happened in July 2020. So, there you go. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do a share screen and we'll get started with the slides. You guys, let me know if you can see my screen as I am hitting it right now. Can you guys see this? Yes. yes. All right. Where is that? Oh, I got to go to the beginning here. There you go. There's Chris's. I got to go to slide number yeah, one. That's the end, right? Yeah, I was going to end with, <laughs> well, we'll, uh, we'll promote it at the end. And now, get the book. Do, 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 present. All right, Chris, slide number one. Yeah, so <laughs> this is when I first got started on this story, right? And um, the thing that really uh, ro- started this ball rolling was realizing that she was um, – living so close to where Alistair Crowley spent uh, the summer of 1916 uh, with a woman called Evangeline Adams, who was actually at the time was a very well-known, I guess she was an astrologer, just sort of one of these celebrity occultist people that sort of, you saw a lot of, right, in the the early 20th century. Um, You saw a lot of these people because I, I think a lot of it, the, the theosophy was really feeding into this and before that spiritualism. But so she was living very close to where Alistair Crowley was, uh, was living about 45 minutes, which, you know, in rural New Hampshire, 45 minutes is basically across the street. Right. And then it turned out 
uh, and I couldn't believe this connection when I, when I heard about it, is that it turned out that um, her sister, Christine, was married to the son of Frank Molina, who started Jet Propulsion Laboratories with Jack Parsons. So she had, um, you know, very close, let's see how many degrees, degrees of separation is that? So her sister, her brother-in-law, and her sister's father-in-law. So that's four degrees of separation away from Jack Parsons. I mean, what are the odds, right? Um, just really amazing to me. I couldn't believe that. Incredible. So that sort of changed, that changed the whole focus of, of my work uh, on the blog over the past month. And nobody had noticed this uh, on any of the occult scholars or? Well, I don't think any of the occult scholars noticed it, but it, it had showed up in a couple articles on like BuzzFeedy kind of, right. you know, those when they were talking about Ghislaine and she, they were talking about her family because her family is a whole other story, you know, a father. Uh, just, the whole situation is just so fraught and complex. And she's a piece of work too. Um, I guess Maria Farmer, who was involved, you know, with the whole Epstein Island thing, had said that you know Ghislaine was really the one running it. That Jeffrey Epstein was just kind of a dope who was in it for the the, the cheap sex, but she was really the uh, the one operating. And then wow. you know you read about like her. She, apparently, she was a very extraordinarily sexually aggressive woman uh a nymphomaniac so oh i really God. wouldn't be surprised um if they you know it's it's something that i haven't been able to nail down quite yet it's it's something like i can i can sense it in my sinuses you know when, when i know i'm onto some sort of connection when i know that there's you know buried treasure my sinuses i always start to feel this pressure in my sinuses and I'm, I'm, i've been feeling that pretty constantly over the past month i know that there's some connection between uh Ghislaine and Epstein and some sort of occultism, probably some sort of sex magic, something similar to Thelema, but maybe a little more hardcore, but I just haven't found it yet. Oh, I'm sure it's coming. All right. Want to go to the second slide, Chris? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they look like such a happy couple. All right. <laughs> so, how do we do this? She's got a Navy fetish, too. You can see that she's wearing sort of a yeah. <laughs> quasi. And she's actually got a submarine license, which I just thought. Oh, like, wow. Oh. Yeah. Wow. That's really strange. Like, who the hell has a submarine license? Lordy. All right. All right. <laughs> well, there she is um, on Prince Andrew's. Uh, who is he even married to now? Was that the other throne meant for Sarah Ferguson? I'm not exactly sure. I'm not sure. Been but this was, um, this was several years back. Um, she and uh, Spacey had uh, taken up in Buckingham Palace and taken uh, Prince Andrew and whoever his consort would have been or Maybe it would just been empty at the time. I'm not exactly sure. But they look very comfortable there. And then, you know, we certainly see that um, they seem to be uh, <laughs> a king and queen of something, right? Uh, I'm not exactly sure <laughs> what, but uh, Spacey is a uh, boy. What a fascinating character. I think he is like the true 
real life Kaiser Soze. I really do. <laughs> I'm serious. I, I really think that that guy is not yeah. somebody to be trifled with. I think that he's not just like another. No, all his accusers and witnesses are falling dead and nobody seems to bat an eyelash. Does anybody yeah. see? It's, I mean, it's yeah, straight out of the movies. He, oh, he's a supervillain. He is Lex. It's funny he played Lex, Lex Luthor because he is Lex Luthor. You know, he's like the real Lex Luthor. I, you know, listen. Because reality has just become so fungible. If if he ends up in the White House, don't be surprised. No, yeah, yeah. Like for real. Like if he he actually becomes president, just don't be surprised. Bro. No, no, I wouldn't. Yeah, you think Hillary hires him for her work? <laughs> I, I think Hillary's terrified of him. To be honest with you, I think she doesn't mess with him. All right, then we go to uh, a map slide three. Right. So um, <clears throat> this was the the alignments that I was talking about. That I was just like, wow, the way these things line up. So at the top you have the Betty and Barney Hill UFO abduction, right? And, and there's a marker there. The state put up a, a highway marker up in uh, near Indian Head Lake Resort, and um, about 35 minutes down the highway, you have uh, Hebron, where uh, Crowley summered with Evangeline Adams, and also wrote into the New York Times. You know, this is something I mentioned in the book. It's just like it's so it's so surreal to me to like be looking at this map because this is the news, <laughs> and this is all kind of things that I was touching on in my book, right? right? right. And I started writing five years ago. A lot of this, like a lot of this kind of New Hampshire stuff was written back in 2015. So anyhow. Um, there's Alistair Crowley, and he, he uh, had written into the New York Times because he was uh, assaulted by uh, ball lightning in his, in his house that just came right through the walls. Um, you know, hey, listen, uh, uh, Alistair, if you, can't st you know, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, right? You know, if you, start, <laughs> you want to manifest things, you go up to a place in New Hampshire, you're going to, you know, they're going to. They're going to manifest in your house. So, um, and then uh, this uh, Glenn uh, Maxwell down in Bradford uh, arrest on World UFO Day. And of course, you know, the uh, so-called extraterrestrials that uh, Barney and Betty Hill had described and the uh, drawing that Crowley had done of Lamb, you know, are not entirely dissimilar, right? You know, they're, they're both in that general archetype of the, the alien gray as we know it, right? And um, so I was thinking about the Jack Parsons thing, and I, I know that uh, his family were from a town outside of uh, Springfield, Massachusetts. And um, there it is. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill, 61, Crowley, 16, uh, Glenn Maxwell, just you know, a few weeks ago. And then uh, Jack Parsons, whose birth name is Marvel, uh, was not born there. Uh, he was born shortly after they moved to Los Angeles, but um, that's where they were living. And that's where both of them were born and raised. <clears throat> uh, that part of uh, Springfield, which be, was incorporated into its own town. So I was just looking at it and I'm thinking like, what are the odds that, that you know? Um, so wild, so wild. Yeah, for, for those four points to show up in that kind of alignment, that's very 2020. <laughs> but having said that, isn't Upper State New York in the Northeast just a hotbed of portals and psychic uh, energies? I know Mitch Horowitz wrote about it and others have said. I mean, what's up with your side of the world, Chris, and yours, Vance? 
<laughs> the headless yeah, horseman. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Sleepy Hollow. Um, <clears throat> uh, Mitch has talked about the burnt out district, which is west. Right. That's in western New York. Um, you know, the Fox Sisters, spiritualism, and all sorts of, I'm, you know, where Joseph Smith was originally born and raised and had his visionary experience. Um, New England, you know, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's a very ancient land. Uh, people have been living there for a very long time. And calling spirits and other shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I encountered a leprechaun in my living room when I was living up there. So, and wow. say, you know, I don't know. It's a, it's a strange world and that's a very strange place. And I, I think there's a good reason that Lovecraft, um, you know, who traveled quite a bit all over the place was, was so particularly fascinated by that, uh, that end of the world. Um, you know, he'd written, I, I believe he had only written one story based in New Hampshire and that was at mystery Hill, which is American Stonehenge, which, uh, Unbelievably, the um, the guy, the, the naval commander uh, David Sex Fraser, um, who took the um, so-called Tic Tac video, he lives right near American Stonehenge, and he's originally from Ohio. So that's it's very interesting to have, you know for him to have ended up there. Oh, you know, I, there's something going on up there. I don't know what it is. I mean, my first really good UFO sighting with my wife and my daughter was New Hampshire. Not, yeah. Not far from here. Um, oh. I was on my way to my grandmother's hundredth birthday party. And we were just, we just crossed the border and we saw this plane that had obviously just taken off from Manchester airport and it was being like menaced by two orange orbs. And we, you know, it wasn't that far over our heads. It was only a few hundred feet over our heads. And, we got a real good look at it. And, and those things, yeah, those things were unwholesome. That's wow. the only word I can use to describe, like the sickly orange color. But it, it definitely seemed to me like they were trying to make the plane crash. So, I mean, who the hell knows? Yeah. All right. Let's see. Slide number four. What do we have here? Okay. So this is interesting. So, um, Bradford, where Glenn Maxwell was arrested, Hebron, uh, you know, again, Indian Head Lake, and then Conway, which, let me see how far that would be. That would be about maybe 30 miles from the, the Barney and Betty Hill area, and also maybe similar distance from uh, where Crowley was living and that's where that guy was arrested um, and that's also where Hillary Clinton made her UFO declaration and interesting to know too that you know John Podesta who's been a big UFO booster for very you know since the 90s was uh, her campaign manager and he's he's also involved with Tom DeLonge and this whole to the stars academy thing um, he's been keeping a low profile uh, for for a while now. And I know that the Podesta group was, um, I think they were dissolved because of, uh, 
something to do with you know improper representation of foreign governments and stuff like that. So I mean that was done very quietly, but I believe that the Podesta group, the Podesta Brothers group, has been dissolved. But uh, and then following that down is America Stonehenge, and then there's uh, Manchester by the Sea, where Glenn Maxwell was reportedly living with, um, with Scott Borgensen. and you know that's that is the ground zero of Lovecraft Country and Cape Ann. And uh, Elliot Maine was this uh, guy that I've been looking at for a while now. This uh, Rear Admiral Herbert Knowles, no relation, who seems to have had his fingers in a lot of UFO pies, and he was also a NICAP board member. So, uh, but he had a very interesting kind of take. You know, his his whole view of um, UFOs was not quite so nuts and bolts. It was more along the neo-theosophical, I guess something that maybe Kiel or uh, Jacques Vallée, you know, would have their own take on. But, you know, he was, this guy was a true believer. And, and I think that he was probably, uh, you know, had some background in theosophy or maybe his wife does, uh, did. But, you know, channeling and automatic writing, you know, very, very much in that um, demilitarized zone between uh, ufology and spiritualism. Wow, good stuff. All right. Shall we go to slide five? Okay, yeah. And this is this is what I'm talking about. So the center of this radius here, where all these arrows uh, are emerging from, is where this uh, Rear Admiral Knowles was living. And his neighbor was, uh, this is relatively obscure, ufological event today but was actually pretty big deal back in the day it was this woman named Frances Swan who was this guy uh, this admiral's neighbor and she claimed to be channeling aliens from this civilization called Alpha and you know at one point she was taken down to Washington and she reportedly summoned you know they she was in, put into this trance and they said well you know can you tell these ufo people to appear before and, and apparently you know reportedly a ufo appeared out the window i'm i you know, who knows <laughs> you know, i don't know I, i'm not going to make any kind of claims as to the veracity of that but um you know he's not far just a couple of hours from glen cove where andrew puharich was doing his nine channelings right so I, 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 I'm always convinced that he was involved in that somehow. I'm not exactly sure how, but I'm, I, I very strongly believe that he was. But he was also um, the harbor master for the U.S. Navy during Operation Paperclip. And I, a lot of people don't realize is that that's where, um, you know, all the German scientists or many of the German scientists were flown into was Boston Harbor. And they landed at um, the Naval Air Station in Squantum. And Squantum, oh, wow. is, yeah, Squantum is an interesting place because that's, you know, we talk about people hiding out, right? So Glenn Maxwell is found hiding out in the middle of New Hampshire, right? And mm -hmm. Whitey, Whitey Bulger, um, who Glenn would probably enjoy having, you know, <laughs> some conversations with. Uh, he's dead now. He was uh, killed in prison, contract hit oh, boy. Uh, a couple of years ago. But, um, you know, he was basically running Boston with his brother. Uh, he was the underground and his brother was the overground. His brother was the president of the uh, Massachusetts Senate. But um, 
there was this whole big thing. If you've seen the movie The Departed, did you see The Departed? Yeah, yeah. Jack um, Nicholson? That was, yeah, that was kind of based on this because it, it turns out that um, uh, the FBI was using him as an informant, allegedly, and they were covering for, you know, all the, the crimes that he was committing. He was basically oh. getting away literally with murder. And, uh, and then he was, he was uh, something happened um, where the FBI agent who was his handler was arrested and he, he allegedly went on the lam and everybody said he was in Paris and this place and that place. And he was in Squantum, you know, where <laughs> um, Operation Paperclip planes landed. And a lot of people don't realize this. You know, if you've seen the movie, the part of the Jack Nicholson characters based on Whitey Bulger and also um, Black Mass with Johnny Depp, uh, he's more explicitly about Whitey Bulger. But Whitey Bulger was a, a real hardcore MKUltra subject. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was thrown in, I believe it was in Folsom in California. He ended up in prison. And they basically just dosed him with like extremely high doses of LSD for like weeks. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then, you know, we all know how that turned out. But anyway, these are also just in this radius, you know, you talk about this area, right? So um, a lot of these, if, if people are interested in ufology, I mean, you're going you're gonna to know the Allagash abductions. You're going to know about the Nine. You're going to know Betty Barney Hill. You're going to know about the incident Exeter. You're going to know about the Tom Reed family abductions, uh, the Hudson Valley UFOs in 83. Um, the Wanakew Reservoir event is, is lesser known, but there were some really good photographs taken there. And of course, Operation Paperclip, uh, the great UFO wave that both Jean Keel and Jacques Vallée wrote about in uh, Passport to Magonia and Operation Trojan Horse, uh, 1966. That, that's in this area, eastern Massachusetts. Betty Andreasen, uh, very well-known contactee in the post, uh, the UFO craze post communion. And then, of course, the Sage Radar Station at Fort Hare on Montauk from the whole Montauk lore, Montauk mythos. And then, of course, Shag Harbor. You're right across the sound there um, in Nova Scotia, which is a very famous, uh, the UFO was said to crash in the uh, ocean outside of Shag Harbor. So, I mean, these are all very, very well-known events in the, in the ufological canon, and they all happened within a 200-mile radius of where this guy was living. So. Wow. Wanakee was the town I lived in uh, when I was in high school. I was there in that town in, oh, in wow. 1966 until I left for college. No kidding. I, yep. I didn't see a damn single UFO, though, and I wanted to because I knew. Or a Nazi or anything. Wow. You remember uh, about that story, though, right? You remember about the Wanakee reservation situation. I don't remember the details. I've been there. It's like not much of a thing. It's just underneath uh, between Newton and Jefferson Township. Milton, all that, all that in there, but people saw the UFOs. I don't think there was any third, in, you know, kind encounters there. But there are a lot of sightings there. In fact, they went on for years. It wasn't just one incident. Yeah, well, somebody back in the '90s, maybe it was the early 2000s, in that range, had put up this very strange website saying that there was a portal there. It was like an interdimensional portal that reminded me of the, uh, the fake website in Twin Peaks, The Return, 
You remember the uh, Matthew Lillard character? Yeah. You remember that that whole subplot? And then they put it actually they put like a a pseudo GeoCities website up and yeah. But somebody put a website up about that, and I and actually contacted him, and he was very brusque and didn't want to talk about it. But he had had a number of photographs that he'd taken up there of weird lights and manifestations and stuff. So back in the glory days of the internet <laughs> right yeah right have yeah. you haven't you found that like information is just getting hard good information is just getting harder and harder to find on the internet very much so that's because yeah. bad information is easier and easier to find on the internet yeah yeah it's, it's being true. jammed it's true it really or is that sort of vile what did they say it's 90% true, but they put that 10% of misinformation to throw you off. I forget what the technique is called, but it's not true. Anyway, so I, that's, you know, that plays a part in this whole story because I really have to wonder. And just the fact that she was there and she was within this alignment, it makes me wonder if she knew that she was in this alignment and looked specifically for a house in this alignment. Um, I, I have a very hard time believing that she isn't up to some strange occulty kind of shenanigans. Oh, there's no doubt she was doing something in that house. So question is why they got to her when they got to her. Yeah. All right, let's go to the next slide. Maybe she gave the, the Antichrist or the moon, moon child birth or something. Who knows? Uh, let's see. And now we go with some Parsons and Hubbard. Oh, my. Cameron and Hubbard and Parsons, oh my. <laughs> so you talk about how like reality has kind of yeah, shifted. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because L. Ron Hubbard moved to New Jersey when he wrote Dianetics. And he was living in a, a town called Bayhead. And I think he was living in that town because he wanted to find a house with the address 666. And I, I believe it was 666 West Street in Bayhead and um, a few summers ago my son and some of his friends had rented a house down there and they were like two or three blocks away from that house I was just like whoa this is this is really interesting because you know I'd studied that house for a while because um, Hubbard is just such a strange character and had so many really strange beliefs but the thing that you know when I when I have talked about Parsons is that um, there's a lot of lore and a lot of mythology, particularly around the, the Babylon working. And, you know, I don't want to burst anybody's bubbles or anything, but um, Mar Marjorie Cameron, Cameron didn't just show up magically. She wasn't summoned through some magical ritual. I mean, Marjorie Cameron, first of all, was naval intelligence, and she was doing top-secret work in, in Washington. So she was pretty highly placed. She was doing cartography work, which at the time was and probably still is in some ways, incredibly important and incredibly secret. So she had very high clearance. And she didn't just show up in Pasadena on a whim. She showed up in Pasadena because her father and her brother were both working at, at Jet Propulsions. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting to me when I started to think about, you know, my brain is always looking for alignments. It's always looking for connections. And I started to see like Marjorie uh, Cameron very much in a similar light to Glenn Maxwell. They just, the more and more you look at them, they, they seem remarkably similar. Um, 
you know, they both have like a strong connection to the ocean and obsession with the Navy, uh, you know, drawn to these shady, <laughs> strong male figures. Uh, Jack Parsons, he had a lot of problems, and I think a lot of them had to do with his upbringing. But, um, you know, he was a very strong character, at least he presented himself as a very strong charismatic figure. And I think that, you know, that's something that Ghislaine Maxwell looked for as well. Um, but the thing is, is that um, both L. Ron Hubbard and Marjorie Cameron were, were naval intelligence. So um, I don't think they were just showing up in Pasadena <laughs> to hang out with Jack Parsons on a lark. I think, you know, I think one of the reasons is that um, Jet Propulsion's first uh, clients with the U.S. Navy. Mm. You know what I mean? So the, their first clients were the U.S. Navy. So I think these people were sent because they heard that this guy Parsons was a little weird. So they, they sent Hubbard and Cameron out to see what's what. And I, I think both of them sort of drank the Kool-Aid, you know, mm. so to speak. But, you know, the Navy is just so involved in all this kind of business, uh, had a huge presence in NICAP, uh, were very much involved in 50s ufology. So I think there are a lot of interesting connections there that bear more looking into. But um, again, you know, Marjorie Cameron, she didn't just appear there because she was called by some signal from the uh, occultic ether. You know, she, she was, I, th I think she was placed and I think her, her family, you know, were placed in his orbit because this was of the highest sensitivity, right? I mean, missiles and so on. I mean, this is really, this is the start of the Cold War era, isn't it, right? right. You know, they're very worried about atomic bombs and the development of missiles, the V2, Werner von Braun, which takes us back to Massachusetts and that whole general area. So, um oh, and the interesting too, thing, too, is that, um so Tom DeLong was in, uh, a band called Blink-182. And that's where, you know, he made his bones. That's what he's best known for. And his partner, um, his father, the, so the partner, Tom DeLong's partner in starting Blink-182, his father was uh, a missile designer for the U.S. Navy. So, uh -huh. you know, there is that connection again, right? Uh, I mean, it shouldn't surprise people because if you really look at the world and the way the world is actually run and not the way it's run in people's fantasies, the U S Navy runs the world. I mean, if the U S Navy went on strike for a week, the entire world economy would collapse forever. And I don't think a lot of people realize that it's the U S Navy that keeps the sea lanes open. Um, so they are, they are, I mean, they have a, they have an air force that's, that's, I don't know if it's larger than the actual Air Force, but I know it runs, it, it performs more actual combat missions than the, the U.S. Air Force. So the Navy is something that a lot of not, not a lot of people pay attention to, and they should, because it's, it's very, very powerful and it's very influential. Mm -hmm. And do you have a stance on whether Parsons accidentally killed himself, was assassinated? Um, there are a couple different theories that I, I think cold water. I don't think he, I don't think it was an accident. I think he was too experienced. You know, they're trying to say, well, he, he was a big speed freak. So he sweated a lot and all that kind of thing. 
Um, there, there are a couple pretty good, solid suspects in my mind. First of all, he was planning to defect and move to Israel and work for the, for the IDF, mm. uh, design missiles for the IDF. So I, I think there were people who did not want that to happen. But there was also, he was also an expert on explosive cases, you know, for the, for the LAPD. And there was actually somebody, I, I think, I believe it was a cop who was involved in some sort of racket where he was planting bombs. And Parsons uh, testified at his trial and got the guy convicted and sent up. And he, he was released from prison right around that time, early 50s, 52 or so. So I, I, I don't, no, I definitely don't believe he killed himself. And I definitely don't believe, you know, he blew himself up trying to build a homunculus. I, I think all these stories are just kind of silly nonsense. I, I think that it was one of those two, to be honest with you. All right, cool. Let's go to the next slide. Very interesting stuff. And here we are, Parsons. Yeah, that's uh, Jack Parsons with Betty, who we started banging when she was a teenager. Uh, she moved in. So Parsons was married to uh, Sarah Northrup, who everybody called Betty, um, older sister. And she moved in with them when she was 15. And this is the Parsonage area. This is when he was running the Agape Lodge out of his home and having all sorts of Hollywood people and science fiction writers and scientists and everything come over for these sex parties. And she was involved in this uh, pretty young, which kind of got me thinking about Epstein. I mean, it's Epstein on a much smaller scale, but just the fact that there was this connection. There was also um, somebody who filed a complaint. A um, 15-year-old boy had complained that he'd been raped at one of these Agape Lodge meetings. I, I don't think the case was ever prosecuted, but um, I'm not exactly sure why he would make that up in, in, at that, in that time period, right? Uh, it's not something that you would want to brag about. Um, <clears throat> so, <clears throat> um, Parsons started banging Betty when she was 17 uh, because she was living with them. And, um, but she, in turn, dumped him for Hubbard. And they both, you know, Hubbard and, and Betty took off with all of Jack Parsons' money. And that was the whole thing when he showed up in Florida and, made invocations to Bartzabal or something, you know, and, and, and scuttled their ships. I mean, it was all very, very weird and, and bizarre. I mean, Parsons, um, he seems to have become sort of like a folk hero to a lot of people, but he's not somebody that I have a tremendous amount of um, admiration for, to be honest. 80 character, huh? I think that he, um, he's been romanticized and a lot, of, you know, that, that television series uh, didn't help, of course. But, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that he was an admirable guy. You know, and if you read a lot of his journal writings and stuff, he seemed to be pretty screwed up in the head. And, uh, you know, he created the technology that's been responsible for the deaths of millions of people. So, there you go. Yeah. Dark forces. All right, next slide. Right. So this takes us back. We're hopping around here. I, I guess I didn't send these in order, right? But this is uh, Roy Den Hollander, um, obvious, flamingly obvious spook. Um, doesn't doesn't even try to hide it. But he was um, 
like a media personality. He was making the, the rounds and all these comedy shows and he claimed to be an anti-feminist lawyer and stuff. And he was on the war path. You know, it was like the He-Man Women Haters Club from the Three Stooges kind of thing. <laughs> but um, he, was in, he was working in Russia. And, and for the audience that might know, this is the guy who shot the son the of the judge. The husband. Yeah. The son, yeah. Of Judge Salas, who was four days before assigned to hear the Epstein Deutsche Bank money laundering case. Oh, you know, this is like we're, we're becoming, you know, gangster state. We're becoming like basically a banana republic because, and, and people buy, you know, people say, oh, he was some embittered incel or, you know, MRA or men going their own MGTOW, yeah. you know, all these kind of stories, just absolutely absurd. Well, even on I, Twitter, you're like, this is right out of the playbook. You knew who they were going to blame it on, right? The disgruntled right-winger or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, they, they called him a Trump supporter because he, he contributed $25 to Trump's uh, campaign. <laughs> So there are all these kind of stories. They're saying, oh, he's dying of cancer and he was bankrupt and all this kind of stuff. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, if that's true, that might explain why he took this um, job to, you know, this contract killing job that he bungled and then got shot in the head for. And again, this is an interesting kind of thing. You know, you talked about how Wayfair just became this huge story, like hours after that thread showed up on Reddit, right? Uh, and this guy, like, he was being served up as the patsy hours after the shootings. Yeah, you know, yeah. like all this, oh yeah, we know who it is. And he's, and he killed himself up in Liberty, New York, which is a drive. And uh, another place, it's another place that I've been to that's in the middle of nowhere. Um, so and this is all just very strange. And he was working for Kroll and Kroll is, you know, either a CIA cutout or, you know, what they call the private CIA. And, he was actually, uh, you know, I just, this news just came out today. Um, turns out this guy who shot the woman who was going to hear the Deutsche Bank case was working with Deutsche Bank in Russia in the 90s, you know, because all these Russian banks that were declaring bankruptcy were hiding money. And apparently this guy was working in Russia, helping Deutsche Bank find all the money that was being squirreled away by these, these Russian bankers. So, I mean. Come on. Yeah. Why? What? I, you know, where this is like, and you notice that like the, the media dropped this story like a hot potato as soon as people started getting this, the scent of this stuff. Of course. So, yeah. Of course. They have no shame. Pretty typical. Yeah. All right. Oh, yeah. And this, this seems like ancient history now, right? Steve Bing. Yes, yes. It looks like Bing, that. who took a swan dive from 10,000 <laughs> uh, Century City. Uh, the 10,000 building of Century City. And again, not to like get too, you know, I mean, this is going to like start to sound like really stupid and contrived, but I was in Century City last summer and I was in Century City. Uh, I'm sorry, right, maybe you're the killer, Chris. Yeah, right. That'd be like a plot twist. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, I was in Century City last summer and um, I was involved in this like legal case and stuff. And it was like, just a few blocks, a couple blocks from, from where this guy took a dive. And he, but he also lives near that, that building, the, uh, what is it, creative artist building that has the big 
all seeing eye in the garden and everything that weird building, uh, weird kind of Illuminati Masonic thing in the courtyard. But this guy was very tight with Clinton, very tight with Epstein, very tight with all these people. And, you know, he takes this dive just like days, just a few days before, you know, Glenn is arrested. And he was involved with all these Hollywood people. He was um, bankrolling uh, these films that Robert Zemeckis was doing, like Polar Express and Beowulf, you know, horrible movies, just really <laughs> disturbing, uncanny valley animation. But he was putting the money behind that. And then he did um, his own movie called Kangaroo Jack, which has sort of become a cult movie because it's so horrible. Yeah, it uh, yeah. but he's just a, a really strange character. And um, and he was just depressed over the the pandemic, right? Yeah, that was the, that That's was how the, much, yeah. Like, they're not even trying. That's like, that's like, you know what? That's like F you. You want to know how he died? F you. He was depressed because of COVID, right? It's just like, shut yeah. the hell up. Who the hell Still you- rich. Still rich, but I'm just going to kill myself. Yeah. Yeah. Because he couldn't go to like some private island where nobody's wearing masks and everybody's screwing and drinking, you know, all the live long day and not wearing a single bit about COVID, right? Yeah. Let's yeah, so just that was just so clearly like they're probably just afraid that this guy was the weak link and yeah boom out the door but he um he was also involved romantically with elizabeth hurley and uh turned out that he was um the father of her son and there was a big paternity thing so i mean all these people are just really sick sick and depraved oh boy all right Okay, yeah, we're really out of order here. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, I couldn't get I couldn't get onto that that slides thing and get these things in order. But you know, I'm oh, sure the audience can follow along. We're hopping around a little bit, but um, we can just dispatch with this pretty quickly. Uh, Ghislaine Maxwell was apparently living in Manchester by the sea. This is the Lovecraft Country map, and you have Marblehead, Salem, Kingsport, Arkham, uh, you know, Innsmouth, all these real and non-real uh locations mm-hmm. in cape this that area that you see here just north of salem is, is is called cape Ann, and not i don't know like can i just say this i mean I, I feel stupid saying it but we used to summer in gloucester um not far from so if you look we see that that gloucester there and then you see sort of that bay and you see that island there where oh yeah i see it yeah to okay. the east northeast yeah so i think that's the beach maybe it's one of these beaches, I, I think it's the lower one. Um, that's um, Lookout Harbor, I think it's called, Lookout Harbor. And we were a couple blocks from there, but we were also on the, the far end of the Babson Farm, which was where the ghost Indian story happened in, in colonial times, where you know, the, um, these ghosts, ghostly figures of Indians and French soldiers, you know, dressed up in uniform were seen to emerge from the, the salt marshes there and um, menace the local burgers. Um, but we had uh, done seances at the, um, the cemetery there and we didn't realize that it was on, on um, Babson Farm territory. So that didn't turn out too good, but that's a whole other show. Mm. Anyway. Wow. Go on some adventures, Chris. <laughs> hmm. Okay. 
you know, get, so we're back on Glade. Uh, that's her father, Robert Maxwell, a.k.a. Jan Hawk, who was uh, set up by the British government after the war as a, as a media baron and um, fancied himself sort of this uh, em- emperor figure. Um, spent all sorts of money. Turns out he was hundreds of millions of dollars of debt. When he died, he mysteriously died fell into the ocean off the Canary Islands off his boat called the Lady Ghislaine. Um, she was very close to him. Uh, I get a very weird feeling that they had, might have had an incestuous relationship. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I just kind of There's the boat problem. angle, right? <laughs> yeah, Her there's the boat the, again. The article. Yep. Yeah, and um, she had, a, you know, like a very close relationship with him. And, and it turned out <clears throat> when he died that they found out that he was – embezzling hundreds of millions of dollars from the uh, pension funds of his employees and stuff. Just a real, and he was all, he was spying for Israel. He was giving a state um, funeral in Israel uh, when he died, uh, spying from Assad. But he was also, you know, working with CIA and KGB. And I mean, he was just one of these, I mean, he, he really was like a John Lacara novel in and of himself. And there you have it, my beloved True Seekers. The first part of our discussion with Chris Knowles. The rabbit hole gets deeper in the second part. And I hope this combo of red pill and black pill suppositories is going up well your rectums of complacency. The revolution of the spirit and the mind in the name of Hypatia continues. And this is our last stand in 2020. Time to wake up fully and reach your potential. And I'm here with you every step of the way. Including the audio version, this is a cool listen if you leverage the private RSS feed from AB Prime or Patreon that works in the podcast provider of your choice. So please become a member of Patreon and support this Red Pill Cafeteria. Go to the God Above God Dead Camp for means to assist and get the infernal rewards. Or just contact me. I can't do it without you. The alternative spirituality and philosophy of the Gnostics is more important than ever. Might be the only way to counteract the boot Yaldi Baldi has placed on the collective consciousness of humanity. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye as always. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? 
Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.